Hey, yo, yo, what's going on? This is John Ross Marcus Cox here back at you with the Way Too Much JRMC podcast. How's everybody doing today? Hope you all had a had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. Enjoyed your family. Enjoyed fighting with your uh, with your uncle, your cousin, whatever. Hope everybody enjoyed their kids and a few minutes few minutes off. And uh, hope everybody enjoyed that Cowboys game. I know I did. So, uh, so yeah, coming back here at y'all today for a couple reasons. Number one, because since the last episode, I've gotten, I've been lucky enough to get to talk to civilians and politicians and everything about the content and definitely think I need to hash out some things a little, a little further based on what I, you know, what I was talking about and just the points I'm trying to get across. One thing y'all are going to learn along the way with me is, yes, I try to be buttoned up. I try to like, I've done research. I try to, you know, have my points I want to get across, you know, all that good stuff. But more than anything, I'm just, I'm just, I really like to just try to put it all out there and be, you know, transparent and vulnerable and like not think that I can think through every thought before putting it out there to you guys because guess what that ain't real life you know like you don't get to do that you don't get to think about everything you're about to say before you're when you're at dinner with your with your with other couple friends right like you're just shooting the shooting the crap with dudes on the street or whatever football practice or at your kids gymnastics practice or whatever like you, you don't get time to think everything through and i think that's where growth occurs is in those moments of just utter honesty and uh, hearing what other people have to say, and all, but also trying to explain your, you know, your argument, your your you know, your beliefs, that kind of thing. There, so, so yeah, so that's the, that's the main thing. The other thing I said I want to talk to you all about some just some Thanksgiving thoughts and <clears throat> things I'm thankful for this year and things that have happened, all that good stuff. So. Like always, it's a couple, couple, few uh, house cleaning items here. You know, obviously, y'all can find me anywhere, anywhere you want on any of the audio platforms. So, podcast, Spotify, or podcast, Lord, Spotify, um, Amazon Podcast, Google Podcast, Pandora, Stitcher, all, all those, all those bad boys. Um, you can find me. You can find me on video on YouTube and on Rumble. Um, and you can always you know, interact with me on on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or whatever. Despite on any of the, on any platform or social media site, just type in way w a y the number two much m u c h so way too much and then j r m c that stands for John Ross Marcus Cox because my my mommy just knew I was gonna have that kind of swagger and so she she wanted to give me four names. So so that's the way too much J R M C podcast. So I try to give you way too much John Ross Marcus Cox. So. Yeah, here's where we're gonna start today. Gonna be a little different than than uh. Well, you know what? Actually, I'm gonna start with a couple of my just where I'm at, where I'm at on last my last episode. So we talked to, last episode. I kind of broke down the emerging changes amongst the Republican electorate, you know, and and I did that through the microcosm of two constitutional amendments that passed in a very conservative state which is nebraska <laughs> and 
they had passed a constitutional amendment to increase the minimum wage and also to enact you know stricter voter ID requirements, mainly just simply making people show show an ID before they vote. I mean, not that it's super strict or anything. To the left, it's super strict, but it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be viewed that way. And I think a lot of people <coughs> took me explaining what the what this new voter base and what the new Republican Party, you know, what I think what I think are the majority voters of the Republican Party. What, what you know, my explanation of what their background and where they're coming from and where their heads at as an endorsement of whether it be increasing the minimum wage or the legalization of you know marijuana or whatever. I, w- I mean, wasn't necessarily endorsing anything. My, I, I was simply trying to explain that the electorate's changing, right? These voters aren't energized. I mean, I don't. Procurement says they're just, they're not energized by low by low taxes and business friendly climates. They're they're not. I'm not saying they shouldn't be. I'm not saying that shouldn't be the goal was to try to try to educate them and my you know, myself. You know, it should, that shouldn't be the goal of Republic. That, that it shouldn't be the goal of Republican leadership to ex, you know explain to, and educate those voters on why low taxes and business friendly climates are important for a free market capitalist society. Okay, <clears throat> but that's not what has them on the move in the Republican Party. So these are voters that, again, at the end of the nineties, were voted for Bill Clinton both times. Okay, they're ones here in Kentucky that kept our Kentucky state legislature blue for a very long time. I think we've had two Republican governors in like 50 years here, or something, 40 years. Okay, it's like, but we're still one of the most religious and conser- socially conservative states in the union, but we were voting Democrat forever, as even, even on a state and local level. So what made those those voters go from voting for Clinton to coming over and voting in the Republican Party now? What I'm trying to say is what what has them on the move isn't low taxes, isn't business-friendly climates, but it's still conservative principles that have them on the move. And so my argument is that we just have to realize who these voters are and realize that there are things that current Republicans do agree with them on. It's, it's, it's culture war stuff. Right, like these people are tired of watching their churches be demonized. They're tired of watching their kids be going to schools where they're told that they can be boys or be girls, and they some are going to schools where they have uh, kitty litter boxes. You know all that stuff. They're tired of being told it's like that. It's bad if their daughters like to play with Barbies, and it's bad if they want to be stay at home moms. They, they're they're you know they're tired of these. They're tired of this stuff. Okay, so like my main point is just that instead of being like having a disdain for them and thinking that they're petty and like they should be worried about wanting taxes lowered and all that. I'm like, it's like I'm saying don't cut off. It's not cut off our nose and spot our own face. Like what they're, what they want past is conservative constitutional principled stuff. Give them those things because they are aligned with your views as well. And then keep them in the party voting red long enough to intentionally educate them and thoughtfully educate them on other party principles. But if we don't give them some of those wins, these culture war wins, 
they're not going to be around long enough for you to convince them that low taxes are the mo- or should be should be the most important thing, you know, or that business friendly climates are are an important thing. They're going they'll go back and vote for the Democrat Party again. And in Kentucky specifically here, I'm just telling everyone right now, if we don't pass this type of legislation I'm talking about, Andy Bashir will win again. If we don't pass legislation that makes him have to stand up at a podium and say, I think little boys should be able to go in little girls' bathrooms, he will win. It just, I'm, it just, I, again, I don't care if you like it. I don't. I, I it, it doesn't. I, I, it is what it is. And the way, I, the reason I know it is because I am one of those. I am one of those voters. I'm not sophisticated. I'm not, you know, I'm not well. I mean, I may I have a degree, but I'm not like well educated. Okay, like I'm, I'm the, I'm the average person. So now we're going, to, we're going to get into some of those things. Here, you know, heard a few minutes because again, like I, I should have been more clear in the last episode. I mean, I absolutely, I don't, I don't uh, endorse increasing the minimum wage. I, it's obviously not a good thing. I, I was just empathizing with them on the with the people that voted for that in Nebraska, because I also know it's people just trying to buy milk for their babies, and milk is expensive, and they don't have time for to and like time or the luxury of worrying of or like of voting on these bigger principles. They have children. They're afraid of starving and not having a roof over their head. All right. So now I'm going I'm to uh, change gears here just for a second. For those of y'all, for those of y'all watching, I'm reading a little excerpt from Hillbilly LG here by J.D. Vance. Ah, I should have told you the name. I was going to ask you. I was going to surprise you with something. But well. I read this book, I guess, probably, I think right when it came out in 2016, I was literally walking through an airport and was on like a layover. My 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 flight had gotten bumped back or something. I needed something to do, and I literally stumbled onto this. And then by the, couldn't put it down. As you can see, I mean, look at all the tabs and stuff on here. I'm one of those, I'm one of those guys. Read super slow. You know, take every sentence to, reread every sentence 15 times and my Tourette's goes wild and I'm twitching and having to read it. It's like, it's bad. It's, it's awful, but I got through this one. And by the end, it's like, I was crying throughout it. I mean, seriously, like tears in my eyes because it's, you know, it was such a, I related with it so much and I know that other people from where I'm from and Appalachia would, they'd be to relate to it. But I'm going to read, I'm going to read the next excerpt just from the introduction. I'm mad I told you who, who wrote it. <clears throat> but this uh, this, this will be I'm going to read about a page and a half here he says my name is J.D. Vance and I think I should start with a confession I find the existence of the book you hold in your hand somewhat absurd it says right there on the cover that it's a memoir but I'm 31 years old and I'll be the first to admit that I've accomplished nothing great in my life certainly nothing that would justify a complete stranger paying money to read about it the coolest thing I've done at least on paper, is graduate from Yale Law School. Something thirteen, some something thirteen-year-old J.D. Vance would have considered ludicrous. But about two hundred people do the same thing every year, and trust me, you don't want to read about most of their lives either. This is this is this line right here was, is very eerie. He says, "I'm not a senator, a governor, or a former cabinet secretary. I haven't started a billion-dollar company or a world-changing nonprofit. I have a nice job, a happy marriage." 
comfortable home, and two lively dogs. He is now a senator, senator-elect from the state of Ohio, which is, which is crazy. <clears throat> he says, so I didn't write this book because I've accomplished something extraordinary. I wrote this book because I've achieved something quite ordinary, which doesn't happen to most kids who grow up like me. I got chill bumps. I got chill bumps reading that. Sorry, give me a second. You see, I grew up poor in the Rust Belt in an Ohio steel town that has been hemorrhaging jobs and hope for as long as I can remember. I have, to put it mildly, a complex relationship with my parents, one of whom has struggled with addiction for nearly my entire life. My grandparents, neither of whom graduated from high school, raised me and few members of, of even my extended family attended college. The statistics tell you that kids like me face a grand future, that if they're lucky, they'll manage to avoid welfare, and if they're unlucky, they'll die of a heroin overdose. This happened to dozens in my small hometown just last year. I was one of those kids with a grand future. I almost fell out of high school. I nearly gave in to the deep anger and resentment harbored by everyone around me. Today, people look at me, at my job, and my Ivy League credentials and assume that I'm some sort of genius, that only a truly extraordinary person could have made it to where I am today. With all due respect to those people, I think that theory is a load of bullshit. Whatever talents I have, I, have almost, I almost squandered until a handful of loving people rescued me. That is the real story of my life, and that is why I wrote this book. I want people to know what it feels like to nearly give up on yourself and why you might do it. I want people to understand what happens in the lives of the poor and the psychological impact that spiritual and, ma spiritual and material poverty has on their children. I want people to understand the American dream as my family encountered it. I want people to understand how upward mobility really feels. And I want people to understand something I learned only recently. That for those of us lucky enough to live the American dream, the demons of the life we left behind continue to chase us. Woo! It's been years since I read this book. I, I just like pulled. I just opened it up and it was like everything just kept just came flowing back through my flowing back through my uh, veins there. All the emotions I was feeling when I, when I was reading this book. But this book is eerie because he wrote this book in 2016. Now we're in 2022, and he is a senator elect. You know, but like when I'm all, I, I had people that listen to this show and they. Some people get upset with me because I self-deprecate a lot and I, you know, make fun of myself or what, you know, whatever. And they just think it's, you know, unbecoming and it tends to, if I'm building up credibility, maybe I, you know, self-sabotage and walk you back two steps from that credibility because I'm just not comfortable with, uh, with the credibility. But Senator Vance here, I mean... We've never met each other. He's from, I think, southeast Ohio. I'm from southeastern Kentucky. Like, I think but his grandmother was in, was in Jackson, Kentucky. It's something eerie, though, that two two guys, pretty similar in age, I think we actually might be the same age, had such similar experiences. And have both kind of... Uh, this is the same things that, I, that I'm feeling. Like, I feel ridiculous that I'm doing this podcast. Because I haven't done anything extraordinary. 
by any, by any measure, I, I, my life is ordinary, just like him. I'm you know married to a beautiful woman, sweet, kind, generous, God-loving woman, four beautiful children, nice home. I'm driving my bourbon like a, like an American should, my suburban like an American should, and a Tahoe like an American should. And it's ludicrous that I'm on this that I'm on this mic right now. But I think he ran for for the Senate the same reason I'm doing this show because people need to know because we are we're not the exception to the rule, or at least our upbringing. We are, we are the exception to the rule as far as you know the fact of where we're both at today. But our upbringing and our trials and tribulations in life are the rule and not the exception. And we are we are where we are today in spite of those experiences, not because of them. So if JD's anything like me, he feels a sense of obligation. Like I feel a deep intrinsic intrinsic sense of obligation to tell the story of people on from the other side of the tracks and to explain to people the mindset okay and try to figure out a way to help you know legislators politicians figure out a way to to help them accomplish legislative priorities while also helping people that historically have been beaten down on without without compromising their principles. Okay, so that's you know that's you know, that, that that that's where I'm at on, on this. So I just I had to read that to you. I mean it was absolutely that little section there, I mean I couldn't sum up any any better where I feel like I'm at right now. You know, like the same ridiculousness that he felt writing this book is it is the ridiculousness that I feel doing this podcast and having the conversations I do with legislators and to, you know maybe kind of running rubbing elbows with the people I'm rubbing elbows with and having the conversations with people I'm having it's like I, I'm so I am so like in awe of what God can do. And what what we can do as individuals, you know, it's like I do feel like I've lived the American dream. I feel like I'm living it, you know. But it's not the American dream. I think that we all thought it was going to be back during the Industrial Revolution and all that stuff, rags the riches. It's literally right now. Like for me, the American dream is simply. Uh, you know, growing up poor, growing up tough. You know, you know, small southeast Kentucky town. Your dad dies of drug dies of a drug overdose. To just finding a sense of purpose, to overcoming those trials, overcoming that the spiritual, <coughs> the spiritual dep- deprivation, neglect, and the self self the self sabotagery. I'll call it the anger, depression, and it's all the, it's the devil. I don't know. I don't know any other way to put it. 
but like overcoming those things, going through them and finding yourself looking up and being like, how? There's no other way to explain how I got here other than, other than Jesus. There's not. That's the American dream, you know, to me. So now let's jump back into the last podcast. So I'm not going to tell you who I've been, who I've been uh, going you know, talking with as far as legislators and all that, all that stuff goes. But I'm very lucky in the sense that I have several that don't just listen to this to the show, but they, you know, they they listen and they give me crucial feedback and crucial uh the time that they don't have that they sh- could be devoting to someone else but they obviously the, thankfully they see i think they see something in me that maybe i can do some good in this world but it's clear to me that last episode that other than just you know maybe seeming like i was endor- endorsing some of the so like it's a statement on wage, for instance, but also, and I think this actually is something that I'm that I'm trying to do. I maybe made some people uncomfortable with my description of the country club Republicans, right? Like painting this picture of you know the rich the rich white guy with the white hair come over. It's about six two, broad shoulders. You know, got 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 a nice little. Uh, Nice little sport jacket on, walking off Keeneland, walking out of the Keeneland uh, suites. You know, and I say, like, I say stuff like that. I'm not because, you know, not, I'll be honest, it, 10 years ago, I, it, it would have been out of prejudice. It would have been out of, like, resent, you know, and, like, me disliking people solely because of their state, their station in life. Like, Ten years ago, if you had money, I would. I, I, it was like my heart, my soul couldn't give you a chance because I was so like, just resentful of the fact that someone else had had that. And but you know, now now I look back at like I wasn't mad at them because they had it. I was mad at them because I didn't. At the time I knew I didn't. Ha- I didn't have it in me to go out and get it. I didn't have. I didn't have the like the will, the like self discipline, the courage. Self confidence. I didn't have all that, so I was I was mad at him for that. But it sometimes that those descriptions that that the the script sort of for like descriptory words and like or whatever it it elicits a very uh, you know like a very intense response from some people, especially if they if they you know relate themselves you know with that description. But I'd say it simply to try to try to to try and elicit that response, but also to tr- to call myself out and say, "Listen, I'm saying this to you because I, this I used to think this way in a negative. Like I, I really believe that about these people. Now I'm self self aware enough to know that like every time I feel that those way about someone or I have that thought, like that's a that's an old country club boy right there. Look look at look at old rich boy walking down the street." That I need to like stop in the moment, take a gut check, and then really give that person a chance to see if they really are like that or not. Now, this part you, people may not like me just hearing this, but there's times where I take stock, and guess what? Old dude is who I thought he was, or old girl is who I thought she was. Like that ain't my fault. 
I, I say this all the time, like, I do it, I try really hard, like, to not think somebody's an SOB until they tell me they're an SOB. But once they tell me that, I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to believe them. So, but, you know, like, I, I do want to make make clear, make it clear that to anybody that's watching like that, I'm not, I don't make those descriptions try to run people off and try to be tough. It's really me being vulnerable and trying to be, like, transparent about my own preconceived biases and notions and you know, all that stuff so that we can have an open, honest conversation. But I can almost guarantee you anyone that's listening to this and that after hearing that continues to listen, you're the exact type person I'm trying to say 10 years ago, I would have, I wouldn't have given you a chance. All right. But I'd have been mad at you for not giving me a chance, even though I wasn't giving you a chance. And that's and that was wrong of me, and I'm still fighting that. I'm still fighting that those demons and trying to trying to get better. Okay, so you know, let's get back to the, let's get back to the minimum wage thing here. So one of the things that was said to me was that. It seemed like I was saying that GOP leaders should institute legislation that would favor, like, say, for instance, an increasing minimum wage. And that I think the way they put it was true GOP leaders should lead by helping voters see the see the folly of such laws. So, again, first of all, I wasn't endorsing the minimum wage, but 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 I do want to I do want to extrapolate on that the fact that they sh- that leaders should help voters see the fault of such laws. In order to show people that, you ha- people have to be listening to you. They have to be, a, they have to remain in your circle, right? So, as opposed to giving them, giving in and giving them legislation that maybe they want, but that is ill-advised, what I'm trying to say is we should find, we should find constitutionally Christian principled legislation that we can enact and kind of you know bring us together as a way to show progress so that we can live to fight another day and explain to people hey listen i know it's counterintuitive but a lot of times when employers have to pay you less you end up making more because of competition because of free markets it's kind of that whole that whole concept of discipline equals freedom right you know if you know jocko willink I can tell you right now, I've learned that over these years. Like, the more disciplined you are, the more freedom you have, and the more freedom you have, the more disciplined you want to be. It's kind of that old, what's old saying? It's like, competence breeds confidence, breeds confidence, breeds confidence. You just start to eat, sleep, and eat, sleep, and breathe it. But when you're not disciplined, you it, it's impossible to fathom. People are like, oh, with me, oh whatever. Whatever you did to get in get in shape, you know, I can't you know, I can't do that. I you know, I got I got diabetes. Or I got high blood pressure, or you know, like you know, I can't get out I I can't get out in the sun and feel better about myself. I got psoriasis. Well, whatever, whatever it may be. And you can be sitting there saying, you can beat yourself over the head and say, Listen, if you do what I'm telling you to do, I had the same exact problem. They were they're not going to believe you because in the moment their plot is so strong is so bad that they, they can't fathom that someone else is, is going through it. So again, you can either shout them down and, and try to convince them your way or 
if you really want to convince them, you get in there with them and you figure out a way to get your message across in a way to where it almost they feel like at the end of it that they came up with that. And they may never give you credit for it. But again, is the goal to change hearts and minds and make the country a better place? Or, or is the goal that that person will remember I'm the one that convinced them that minimum wage laws are bad? So now the person that was interacting with me on this, I mean, I do. I mean, they were absolutely... They're absolutely right about what about what they're saying about the Tom, you know, Thomas Sowell and the Rand Paul arguments to, about minimum wage. Like they're they're a hundred percent correct on what they're saying. Okay, again, like I, you know, for whatever reason, may have may have may, may have let it come across that I was endorsing a minimum wage hike. I wasn't, so I want to make that clear. Now. I don't know that we talked about this. I don't, I don't know if I discussed this on last show or not, but this has came up a couple, several times for me in the last few days, and so I feel like I need to address it here because this is also one of those, one of those, you know, hot topics, especially with, from in libertarian circles and conservative circles. <coughs> Excuse me, all that, and all those, you know, the. Republican country club parties. I'm just kidding. Don't get don't get mad at me. I'm joking with you. And that's you know the friendly your corporate environment, low business tax environment. You know, like and most and more importantly, employer. Employer, the employer's ability to do what they feel is best to for their business and 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 then an employer's right to choose to not partake in it by leaving and going elsewhere. So, be more specific. Talking about employer mandates. So, this is one thing. This is one topic. I will tell I'm gonna, I'm tell I will tell people. Okay, and I've thought this through. And like I know that I know I'm gonna disagree with several of the legislators I've spoken with on 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 the last show. About the last show. Like I just fundamentally disagree that an employer should be able to make employees do something. Specifically, you know, get the jab, the corona, the COVID vaccine. I want everybody to go watch, go go to Rumble or go to Google and just type in "died suddenly." Watch that documentary, okay? But the reason I disagree, especially with the employer mandates, with this is uh, it's kind of twofold. Number one, we don't live in 1920 anymore, okay? We all saw during COVID. The government picks winners and losers. We don't live in this vacuum of this free market. Walmart, Amazon, Ford, the the, the, the like the teachers unions, the the state, 
the big grocery store chains, they have an they have a, a gigantic hold on the marketplace and employment. And they also have basically unchallenged unchallenged unchecked power in in the sense that like they don't they're not liable for anything that come that they put onto you especially when it comes to vaccines so again we're not living in a world where employers have the all these rights and all these responsibilities and employee and employees have all these rights and responsibilities and they all they all there's like a check and balance to keep each other in check one of the biggest checks on that system right now is heavily in favor of, the, of, of employers. So again, this last session in the legislature, we had some bills that were put out there. That a lot of them were to stop the employer mandates on these on the vaccine. I will say this. I don't I do not like legislation that specifically imposes requirements on businesses. So saying you can't require this your people to get this vaccine. Because again, theoretically, those employers should know what is needed in their workplace and in their and in their industry and in their business more than better than anyone else. I would I'm hundred percent hundred percent on board with that. The bill I was trying to get support for, and I'll say I was such a such a you know wet behind the ears and such a uh, just a rookie, I didn't have time to, you know, talk about more than just the, the main the primary bill I was down there. This next time around, I would I would have been able to. I just wanted to eliminate the employee the employer liability protections. Okay, like it is it is it is totally unreasonable and un-American that a business can give you can let you work there twenty years, give you benefits, building up for retirement, pension, whatever, and then all of a sudden on that twentieth year. Say, mm, well, if you don't go get a shot in your arm, you don't have to work here. But if you leave, you lose your pension. You gotta, you gotta go find another job. Okay, where am I going? I'm a coal miner. Where am I going to find another job? It's totally ridiculous. They can do that, and there's the reason. The reason they're willing to do it is because they ha- There's no downside for them. The government wanted the vaccine pushed. They knew the left would be screaming bloody murder if they didn't require to get it, people to get it. They'd be trying to boycott for that. So because of that liability protection, it actually made more sense for them to force try to get force everybody to get a shot. I mean, we are we are cutting people out of the military at a time when we are, we are struggling to get anybody to enlist. Okay, we were we were firing nurses for not getting the shot at a time when we needed nurses the most. We have teacher shortages all across the United States. Bus driver shortages. And we were putting more restrictive requirements on them. And those are the populations that want to get the jab the least. And there's one reason behind that. Because nobody can sue you if it messes with you. So I'm all, okay, here's the deal. I'm willing to give you in a vacuum where there's checks and balances. And there's and the government isn't favoring either side, the employer or the employee, it's, it's, it's game. Let's do it. 
but if old Ricky Bobby, all right, old Ricky Lewis, old Ricky Lewis, that's my stepdad's name, so that's why I'm saying that. Old Ricky Lewis, you make him get that shot, and then old dude comes down with something, and it's because of that shot. By God, he he's got he, he will be able to sue you, especially in so many of these instances where the where the employer or the employee was going to the employer and saying, "Hey, listen, my doctor is telling me I can't get this shot, or that I, it's it's against it's against my interest to get this shot because of because of like health characteristics I have, my risk of stroke or whatever." And the employer would say, it doesn't matter, man. You got to get it. In what world is that okay? In what in what free world is, are we living in? If, listen, if that's, if that's a free world, then we want to live in different We want to live in different worlds. But just like the schools, everybody was telling me, I was trying to tell people they couldn't wear a mask. No, I wasn't. I wasn't telling the legislature to take the power back from school boards. I wasn't. I was saying... Give everyone the freedom to wear the mask if they want to and not wear it if they don't want to. So that's, when I talk about employer banning employer mandates, what I'm saying is, no, employers don't have the right to tell you how, about the medical decisions you need to make for yourself. They, do, they don't. But I'm not trying to keep them from being, I, I'm, again, that's, that's my belief, but I'm still... I still am able to over, to see over the top of my own prejudice, of my own opinion of what I want to, what I'm trying to do here, and say that's probably not constitutional for me to for me to tell a business they can't do that they like that they can't do something. But what is constitutional and what said if we're talking about getting rid of rent seeking behavior and seeking out protections from the government? Listen, Mister Corporate CEO. Up in your ivory tower, in your downtown penthouse, uh, penthouse suite office, you gonna make you gonna make somebody get that jab. When something happens to them, and you made them get it, you better be ready to pony up. And that's the check, and that's the balance in that relationship. Right now, there is no check and balance. This is what it is. So, then I saw this. And it says, this is another topic, but I'm on one now, so I'm just gonna go. I'm just gonna go for it. So I was. Uh, I follow several people on social media and Facebook, and I'm friends with people from all different kinds of political persuasions. But this, this, this mindset does like. I used to think I was a libertarian. Like I used to think I used to think that like that everything should just be wide open and everything would work itself out. But what changed in my mind was was this was this thought <coughs> that in order for the in order for that to be the case we have to be seeing the world through similar lenses at least. You know, like, it's not okay to uh, to buy our stuff you know, and like, 
allow Apple to operate in China where they are literally their slave labor there. The Uyghur Muslims are enslaved. And we're bringing their products back over here. And since it's making it cheaper for us, and that's, you know, that's the end all be all in America, it's consumerism, that it's okay because it's it's a free market. It's not okay. It's not. I don't care. I don't care what anyone says. It's not okay. Now, if we were all operating under the same standards that we were all, we all respected our employees and we all were trying to do what's best and try to make a profit and all, you know all that kind of stuff. If that was the, if that's where we were at, then great. But we don't. It's, it's impossible to operate like that whenever you have all these other countries that are uh, that are doing everything they possibly can to, to like undercut us and treating people like garbage. It's out of sight, out of mind, so we go along with it. And so, but I'll bring that up because I've, I've gotten the feeling from several people that I know are libertarians, and I respect them. You know, I feel like they're, you know, they're very intellectual, um, and they definitely are much more educated on countless thing, countless issues more educated than I am on, on countless issues. But they've started to, they've started to attribute so much of what I'm trying to do of saying of, of what I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm actually lobbying for freedom to be able to choose if you want to wear a mask, choose if you want to get a shot, choose where you want to go to school. They're, they're buying this narrative that that makes like someone like me a statist that I'm going out and lobbying the state to enforce my principles. And one of my thought, one of my responses to that is just always like, I just see that as, as a me trying to participate in a, in a modern society. Cause in the past, my way of thinking, we just went whoops, whoops some ass. We wouldn't beat some people up and got and been able to do what we want to do. But it said, the person I know says, something a few libertarians need to understand. You can affect culture without statism. The philosophy of liberty only negates the use of force. It does not negate peaceful activism. Cultural conservatives, even fundamentalist Bible numbers, can and should advocate for their morals so long as they stop short of doing so via the means of the state. Any libertarian who opposes this either does not understand the philosophy of liberty or is simply hostile to conservative culture. And the person went on to say, and yes, this means using legislation to block employer mandates, prevent surgical procedures, or to remove books from schools are all wrong. And that's the thing. So I'm talking about fighting this, this war inside the Republican Party. So I said, you've got voters over here vote, that are voting red, that are voting for constitutional amendments to raise the minimum wage. Then you have the other end of the Republican Party who, who think that it is statist to use legislation to keep employers from making you as an individual do something to use, use legislation to prevent adults from allowing their minor children to have surgical procedures to mutilate their genitalia because you know libertarians think your kids are your property you own them 
That's I mean that's that's literally what they what they believe. And that it's also bad to use legislation to remove books from schools. What are the other options? Because I can tell you, the people that want to do those things, they're trying to use legislation. Libertarians think they're armed to the teeth. Uh, come on down to the south. Come on down to the south, brother. Come on down to the south. Where people are... Uh, have the mindset I have, the one do the things I'm talking about doing, and are uh, their own, and that that are armed to the teeth and are their own well-armed militia. So, like, nobody wants to go there because it ain't going in well. But what are the other options to protect people that aren't smart and almost have smart enough, aren't? mature enough yet to understand what's being done to them so if I have to use legislation to keep doctors from being able to psychologically manipulate parents and children into thinking it's okay, that, they're, that their son that likes to play with Barbies is actually a girl and they should allow them to take hormone blockers and estrogen or whatever and then it 16 be able to surgically remove the reproductive organs. If that means I have to use that legislation for that, by God, that's what it means. We can disagree, we can agree to disagree, and you you lobby your position, I'll lobby mine, and the, the, let the best man win. That's all I know to tell you. That's all I know to tell you. When it comes to removing books from schools, like, again, the legislation that the Bible thumpers this person is talking about. Is trying to get trying to enact isn't isn't saying that these books should be burned and not be sold anywhere. Trust me, there is a part of me that wants to take my alpha dog personality and and manipulative uh, manipulative uh, skill set in order to. Get legislators to do the, just just that, and get rid of these books and make it illegal to even write them, because it's they're sick. And anyone who thinks that an L, someone a child that's LGBTQ can only find themselves in a sexually graphic novel that's that talks about stuff that no ten year old, twelve year old, thirteen year old should be thinking about. Again, this is coming from a guy who lost his virginity at twelve years old. It was like I'm not here because of it. I'm here in spite of it. I needed someone to to show me the way and say this isn't how you. This isn't the way to success. Because most people aren't like me and JD Vance and make it out. We end up with a high school girlfriend pregnant. Chopping out of high school, working in the coal mines, being angry and depressed, and then eventually on Oxycontin and dying of a drug arrest from 37. Jackie Marcus Cox is my father. That's his story. So I don't care if you don't like it or disagree with it. Brother, I lived it. So you don't deserve a, an opinion on this matter. It happened. It happens. It's happening. If I, have to use, if I have to use legislation to keep people from 
allowing, I mean, it's like the stuff they're allowing these kids to do and the stuff that these doctors are having kids do. But again, like, there's a fine, there's a fine line. Like, I, in the past, have said when it comes to these books, listen, I'm not trying to get them out of all, all libraries. If parents want to buy them and give them to their kids, that's, you know, more power to them. I've said that before, but then I find myself thinking, like, do I really, do I really think that? Would I think it was okay to, for a parent to, they, well, I think my, I think my child's more mentally mature than other children, so I'm going to show them porn. Would I, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't agree with that. And I can tell you from experience, the psychological trauma that you experience when you're a child is just as bad as the physical trauma you experience. And I've experienced both. So it is a fine line. That's like I think I think where the fine line comes into play is like there there does come a time where community policing does have to come into play. And I don't mean like physical policing. I just mean like ostracizing people and making making it known that hey, that's not acceptable. The same way you don't want to go to jail and be a chomo, be a child molester. They self police it. So, so you ain't trying to go to jail for that for that. So you know, it's like I ain't trying to lock everybody because again, life is life is isn't black and white. It's awful. It's full of nuance and gray area. So I'm not trying to lock. I'm not. I don't want the state being able to decide that every single parent that they dislike is a, you know, abusing their child or harming their child because they thought they could, they were ready to read a book or something. Yeah, you know, that's not what I'm trying. It's not what I'm trying to do here. But if we're going to have public schools, we absolutely have a right and a responsibility to steward those children along the way. And to fill them with the principles and values that we feel are essential to live in a quintessential American life, right? And again, on the employer mandate stuff here, it's like, yes, theoretically, you can leave and go find another job. Theoretically. Can I do that? Yes. I am the exception and not the rule. Can a dude that's been working at Walmart, or or it's, it's like, because maybe you can maybe people can relate with more. Somebody who's been in the military for twenty years and it's a is a career officer or a career military man or whatever. Can they simply walk away and go into another go into another field because the government says they had to get a vaccine that they didn't need because they were healthy. Been, and then literally people that think they're libertarians think, well, he's just a, but I, I don't, actually, I don't even know what they're thinking. I don't even know how, I don't know what they're thinking. That's not freedom. Being able to tell people, they're going to make people do things. When it comes to injecting things in their bodies and wearing things on their bodies. So again, I think we, talk, we look at things, we look at stuff so like, so bass awkward at times. You know, but I do I do try I, I try really hard when I'm when I'm looking at legislation or I'm talking with legislators to to always look at the things I'm talking about through a through a through the lens, the prism of personal liberty and personal responsibility and as much free markets as possible. 
but the difference in nineteen in, in the difference between a twenty twenty two Republican and a nineteen eighty two Republican, the a Reaganomics Republican, is that as a society we don't see employment as the end all as like the end all be all. I, I I don't really know how to put my finger on that. But like this idea that 1982 Ronald Reagan policies were just the best things that sliced bread. Have y'all watched the movie The Messenger? Or Narcos? Do y'all know what the CIA was doing with pumping coke and crack through the through the streets of L.A.? That we that. The, our government was in was selling these was the, selling the drugs, but they were then in turn locking every black man on the planet up and throwing away and locking them up, throwing away the key. They were the ones selling them, selling them the drugs, so they could fund wars in other places. It's not conspiracy theory stuff. And if you think it is, keep thinking that way because the voters are they'll find they're going to find other politicians. All you got to do is do a little research. Okay, if we're still okay with people, with employers, we've I think that there's been like 13 billion vaccines administered or something at this point. If we're still okay with big pharma and the government being in bed and big, and big business being in bed with each other, after the opioid epidemic, Christ Almighty, Lord help us. My daddy is dead because of y'all. Because y'all let y'all let them pump Oxycontin through the streets of Appalachia, no holes barred. Y'all gave them a, a a special label to put on it to tell my daddy that it wasn't that it wasn't uh, addictive. And it took y'all twenty five years or whatever to even. To even put on a show like you're holding them accountable. I think they paid what six billion in fines or something, but they made twenty billion in profits. You can go watch the show Dope Sick on Hulu, please. So again, listen, I, I'm not a politician. I don't have a vote in the legislature, in any like legislature. Same way JD but you know, JD Vance didn't either when he wrote when he wrote this book. What I'm, what you know, I, and I'm just not thinking of this live right now. What I'm trying to tell y'all is either y'all can be smarter than me, like you are, like you probably are smarter than JD Vance. Maybe, maybe not even to yell. Maybe not. You can try to understand what's happening, or. You may mess around one day and old John Ross Marcus Cox might be the governor. The governor. I keep talking too loud in my mic. Might be the governor. J.D. Vance is a senator now. In 2016, he was 31 years old, living a, living a normal life, 
making fun of himself, being self-deprecating in the introduction of his book, saying, this is ridiculous I'm writing this book. What I'm trying to say is, it is ridiculous that I'm doing this podcast. But it is what it is. And I'm not telling you that I know all the answers, that I know the best bills, and I know all the legislation you passed and all that. All I'm telling you is, I've lived a life that I'm thankful for the life God has given me. All the hard, the hard times, the trials, the tribulations, and that He's that He allowed me to come through the struggle and still be here today and have a have an audience with you to be able to help explain to you what's happening to real Americans, so that you can think of you know find the best find legislation that can. constitutionally help set people up for success and give them a route to personal freedom and prosperity. And I just know we don't do that, especially in ways that we've already done before and it didn't work. Like for instance, uh, Getting tough on crime and locking everybody up, while on the back, on the while the right hand's doing that, the left hand over here is handing handing drugs, dropping drugs off on the corners of L.A. and getting everybody high and selling the drugs and, and using the money to fund guerrilla wars. Not like this isn't conspiracy. This isn't. All right, so let's move on past that. And again, all y'all listen, politicians, civilians, everything. I want your feedback. I want to know what you think. If I'm wrong, I'll admit it. I said, I obviously messed up on the last show and made it seem like I was endorsing minimum wage increases when I wasn't. I needed to be able to correct that. I couldn't have corrected that without someone informing me of, of it coming off that way. That's what I want. I want dialogue. I want to have dialogue with you. To help you as a politician, to help you as a civilian, to be able to, so that each of you all, so that the civilian and the politician can interact with one another better. Because guess what? Every every civilian, most of the ones where I'm from, haven't lived the life I've lived and came through it and lived to have the success story to be able to empathize with both sides and to be able to articulate what each side's thinking. So it's equally important for both sides to listen because maybe, just maybe, I can give you that one little piece of the puzzle to make sure you all can have a conversation and get rid of my redneck butt. You don't need me no more. So... But that's the it's a great segue talking about trial tribulations. You know, this 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 year, it's hard to believe it's it's, it's only been eleven months. The what I saw what I caught myself yesterday thinking about, and yeah, I go too deep all the time. I'm always in deep thought, I feel like. What I found myself being extremely thankful for 
was all the times in my all the times in my life where I felt like God was just doing too was was just laying putting too much on me, making things too hard. Like I couldn't make it. Only to find out like now you know now I'm 36, and I'm like I understand what all those were. I understand why I had to, why it had to happen. Growing up in Appalachia, I can hear it now. I never thought I would be able to say I'm so I'm so extremely grateful for all the hard stuff <laughs> that I like the the sad, tragic, you know, like tough circumstances that I either experienced myself or saw other people experience experience the relationships I went through. I thought was gonna ruin everything. I thought was the the end of it. I'm extremely thankful. I was in my Bible the other day for I look back on. I think every 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 hillbilly can you know, especially in the last twenty years, has a has a moment like this, where they make a conscious decision to. Snort that first pill. Pop that first Zambar. Snort that first line, whatever. And I'm no different. I remember sitting in that Grand Cherokee, that Burgundy Grand Cherokee. And my boy, uh, his initials is DC. I ain't gonna say his name out, out loud. I ain't trying to put him on the spot like that. But I... Lived my whole life, all the way through, you know, high school. Determined and not in, like my father. He was a drug addict, and things just got tough. It was my freshman year, college in the summer. I said, "Hey, man." I just, I was at I was at Wits End. I was like, "Hey, man, let's just I'm, me going on the pill with you." And we got in that Grand Cherokee. I don't know what it was. I watched him chop it up with that credit card. I watched him roll up that roll up that. $20 bill. Scrape, scrape them lines together. And this 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 friend of mine, who was younger than me, he was still in high school, who knows how many people he snorted the first pill with. He looked up at me. He threw me my $5 back. He goes, get out. Get out of the car. I was like, "What?" He's like, "I won't be. I won't be that guy. I won't be the guy." Because he just he knew how important it was to me, how hard I tried to be on, stay on the straight and narrow. You know, and he may not even know. He may not even remember that night. He may have been too strung out. I'm so thankful for that. For whatever God put on him, put on his heart. Because we all, I, I, we all know where I would ended up. So I'm thankful for the hard times. Hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. Weak men create bad times. And all back over again. Bad times create strong men. So if anything's, if I've learned anything, if I've been taught anything over this 2022, it's been that man, in those darkest of moments, 
when you think like I just I I can't keep coaching and dealing with the all this COVID mask mandate. I can't deal with the up and ups and downs if I'm gonna have practice. If I'm not, I can't deal with having to the I can't deal with the emotional insecurity my kids are having because of all the stuff they're dealing with at school. All the up all the ups and downs. I can't deal with the financial you know struggles. I can't not watch the porn. You know what whatever those darkest moments are. Man, if you can find it in yourself to just keep going. That feeling you get on the back end of that when you're like, I didn't give up. And now God's using those tough times to mold something better. Like JD Vance right here in twenty sixteen. He thought it was it was ludicrous he was writing this book. Now he's a senator. I can tell you right now. Eleven months ago, I felt totally insignificant. I felt like a beggar. Like I was just begging for the world to let me keep going to practice the basketball practice at the YMCA so I coach my team. I was just trying to squeak by, just trying to get to the next day. I wasn't thinking about the bigger picture. I wasn't thinking about something grander and just trying to do good and be a good person. And and I sit here today, 11 months later, I'm doing a freaking podcast, talking to legislators every day, politicians, driving out tomorrow to go to a show, be a, be a guest on a podcast out in Kansas City. God can do crazy things. And he wants to. I think. You know, maybe you know, maybe I don't. I don't really know. All I know is, listen. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for my life, my wife, my kids, my situation, my struck. But mostly, I said, I'm being honest. I'm mostly I'm thankful for the struggles. I can't explain it. I don't know what it is. I, I don't know if it's just like that inner, that innate desire to be a warrior that us that men have, but like. I'm just thankful for every bad thing that's ever happened to me because I know I'm right here right now today doing this show married to the woman I'm married to with the children I'm, that I have with the relationship that I have the love I feel for my mother my half, my brothers my the people around me the kids I coach like all all those bad times have shaped have, have shaped me into who I am today and, and it, who knows if one of those things doesn't happen one of them doesn't happen. Maybe I don't have the right thing to say to the kid that I can tell is emotionally struggling in practice. Maybe if one of those things doesn't happen, <clears throat> I don't get in the car and go wherever and the, the, whatever the butterfly effect is that made me go to my now wife, but at the time, my buddy in college's sister, maybe I don't go to the dorm room and meet her that night. So I'm just thankful. I'm just thankful for all that. Just thankful for life's the mundane. I'm thankful for all you guys. Thankful for y'all for y'all listening to the show, watching the show, and for continuing to encourage me and engage with me and help me make this show better. I have no I have no belief that I will, that one day I will wake up and be like 
JD Vance and feel like I was a I was a Nostradamus and I wrote you know he wrote this book and then now he's a senator I have no, I have no I have no expectations or belief that I want that this thing's going to end up being crazy big but I do have a belief that if it does get there it'll be because it did it was it it did good and people needed needed the message So listen, I love y'all. Hope y'all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Hope you got all the food you all the food you wanted to eat. Get to pray with the people you want to pray with. See the people you want to see. And I hope you got to be thankful for all the things I get to be thankful for. And that if you're going through bad times right now, I'll just I'll pray that next year you'll be sitting in your house saying the things I'm saying right now about man I'm just so glad those bad, bad stuff was happening a year ago so yeah there you go appreciate y'all listening tonight. I for dang sure gave you way too much JRMC probably should cut this thing off 20 minutes ago but thanks I appreciate y'all for sticking around and uh until next time holla at your boy <laughs>